Hello and welcome everyone. Good afternoon. And this is another episode of the CyberSec Migrant. Thank you for joining us today. If you are new to the channel, welcome. We hope you'd consider subscribing to our content. If you're a returning subscriber, thank you for watching another one of our episodes. And today I've got a guest with me who is going to be having a, a very interesting discussion with me around generative AI and the impact that has on cybersecurity, particularly for enterprises as we move into uh, the new century and all the changes with generative AI, how that impacts governance, risk, and compliance. Uh, and my guest today is Mary Carmichael. I'm going to have Mary introduce herself. Oh, thank you, Femi, for having me today. My name is Mary Carmichael. I'm the vice president of ASACA Vancouver chapter. So with ASACA, it's a global organization, and we focus on credentialing and training for our system auditors, IT risk management, cybersecurity, and privacy. So with my role at ASACA at the local chapter, but also at the global organization, I focus on generative AI. So I'm part of the emerging trends as well as the risk advisory group and we're spending time analyzing generative ai in terms of opportunities as well as risks we need to be mindful of as we pursue this technology so thank you again for having me and i look forward to the discussion thank you very much mary and uh it's going to be very interesting and exciting so um if you've got any comments any questions leave them down in the comments below and we'll also get across to those so let's dive right in uh right off the bat it's I think September last year, when OpenAI launched the chat GPT and it became the next big thing, it's going to put us all out of a job. <laughs> what exactly is generative AI and what would you say is its potential impact on cybersecurity? Also with generative AI, I'm going to have just a very simple definition. Generative AI is just a type of artificial intelligence that creates things like pictures, words, songs, or even patterns in data. So just imagine having a virtual artist, writer, or even a composer at your service. So generative AI has been around for several decades. However, in the last 10 years, we've been seeing generative AI in what I call everyday applications, like your smart assistants, like Siri and Alexa. You may be wondering, why do they sound so human-like? And that's thanks to generative AI. Also, we have content creation and entertainment. So earlier this year, there was a picture of Pope Francis wearing a white Prada puffer jacket. That image was fake. It's actually a deep fake that was used by a tool called Midjourney to create images. Also, generative AI creates music. So there was another song that was uploaded to Spotify, YouTube, and it sounded like a collaboration with Drake and Weekend. It was called Heart of My Sleeve, but it was fake as well. It was AI used to simulate those artists' voices. So... AI, what I call generative AI, has been around for a fair amount of years, like social media with your filters, as well as personalization when you go online shopping. Once again, those recommendations provided to use all generative AI. So in terms of cybersecurity and its impact, generative AI is a friend and a foe. <laughs> so in terms of cybersecurity as a foe, you have to think about the business model of cybercrime. So, so tools like ChatGPT, has improved the business model. So it has reduced the barriers to entry for cybercrime. And also just with ChatGPT's ability to write very convincing phishing emails, it has improved the efficiency and the quality and also allows you to scale your attacks. So right now we have a changing landscape. So the costs, I found the operating model for cybercrime has been reduced. Now you have a tool that once again, allows you to automate your attacks and also scale your attacks. 
Also, I do want to talk about the positive side of cybersecurity. So generative AI does offer opportunities to enhance cybersecurity. And I approach cybersecurity from more of a broader perspective. So sure, you have your security operations, pen testing, vulnerability management, but there's other aspects of cybersecurity like your compliance, cyber risk management, auditing, governance. And generative AI can support all those different streams of cybersecurity. So for example, there's a talent issue. So when you're looking for cybersecurity professionals, there's a shortage of talent. So can generative AI, for example, um, we call it Microsoft's product security co-pilot, can that help you uh, assign tasks to that uh, co-pilot to help make your security team more efficient, even though they may be down a staff member? So with that theory, you can use generative AI to improve your anomaly detection and also your defenses. But from a people process point of view, you can use um, uh, ChatGPT to write your governance documents in terms of developing a policy for responsible AI, or even um, how to use, uh, or even um, training materials for staff in terms of cybersecurity best practices. So with generative AI, it can support many different streams of uh, cybersecurity. This one's going through those activities and also generating content. But the main challenge right now with cybersecurity is mitigation strategies. How do we balance this double-edged sword? So as I mentioned, there's deep fakes. So how do we verify? So do we use digital signatures and blockchain to verify content authenticity? Detection. So how do you know something's a deep fake? So once again, learning machine models, forensic analysis to find fake content and also regular regulation. And this came up quite recently, just thanks to ChatGPT. So once again, how do we ensure gender of AI is being used for good, minimi minimizing its harmful impacts to society? And this is where we have the regulatory discussions. Yeah, thank you so much, Marie. That's um, very interesting and very extensive. And I remember you were talking about deep fakes and all of that. And I, I remember in the past when we talk about um, BEC, business email compromise, one of the big red flags was the English was always terrible. You know, you see an email where the grammar is off, the tensing is off, and then you know this is a fake. But now we chat GPT, even that is not going to be a problem to the you know threat actors anymore. So thinking of that, especially, especially as someone with extensive experience in the DRC domain, how do you see Gen AI influencing risk management practices going forward? Oh, it's going to have a profound effect. It'll introduce new approaches to managing risk management. It's going to reshape how we do risk management. So with risk management, it's all about managing uncertainty. We try to do predictions and modeling. So, so, so with this, imagine you're simulating a cyber risk scenario or even a market crash in detail. Generative AI can help risk managers forecast you know, real world outcomes and provide informed basis for decision making. So one of the number one questions I get asked for cyber risk is what's our exposure? And if we do have a ransom attack, what are our vulnerabilities? So using risk prediction and modeling through generative AI will help me answer those questions. So it's like having a crystal ball that helps you peer into multiple future possibilities. So with risk management, it's about once again, managing uncertainty and looking at here's the different scenarios and modeling them with AI and hopefully um, providing some quantitative in terms of frequency and impact so we're able to answer senior management uh, questions. Another aspect of generative AI is data augmentation. So data is king in risk management, but what if you lack sufficient data? Generative AI can help out with this. So you can create synthetic data that enriches the analysis, leading to more comprehensive insights. So it's like adding um, more pieces to a puzzle, allowing for a complete picture. And other areas where risk management will be improved is 
anomaly detection. So to stay one step ahead of the threat. So generative AI can alert you to unusual patterns or behaviors that signal a potential threat. So it's like having a guard dog that never sleeps. So having that constant protection. And lastly, I have to mention personalization. So that's what generative AI's one of its strengths is it can tailor, for example, let's say insurance policies or investment plans. Generative AI can create personalized risk profiles based on your information. So it's having a tailor-made suit that fits you perfectly, recognizing your needs and preferences. So with that, it is transforming risk management practices. So it's opening more doors to what I call sophisticated analysis and real-time responses. And that's pretty powerful for our risk managers toolkit. Absolutely, absolutely. And I like the analogy you gave of um, a tailor-made suit. Not only is it a tailor-made suit, it's a suit that actually grows with you as well. You know, in the past, you you have a suit. A few years later, it's too tight or you have, you've lost a weight and then you need a new one. But this one just grows with you, so you don't have to change it. But like you said, that's also where it becomes a bit more challenging. And um, like you said, Gen AI has been around for quite a while. ChatGPT has just made it popular. But now that it's popular, what are some of those emerging risks that are associated with the use of that particularly in cybersecurity, as we think of, you know, using GNAI for risk management and policy and compliance, what are those risks we should be thinking about with GNAI? Oh, I, uh, the first one that comes to mind is data privacy violations. So when you implement generative AI in cybersecurity, it needs to comply with regional and also international privacy regulations because the AI model is being trained on data. So the question with the data is, what is your data source? Do you have confidential, sensitive information about people? And did the people consent to having their information being part of a training uh, training data set. Because once again, with cybersecurity, depending on your approach, you want to learn about behaviors of staff and know when the behavior is off to block that person's access to systems. But once again, it goes back to privacy of that individual and whether or not you can use their information in that respect. So if there's not, so with that case, potentially it can be non-compliance that leads to penalties, legal issues, and also diminished trust being, between clients and stakeholders. Another key thing is bias within the AI decision-making model. Yeah. So once again, you're trained on large data sets and that can inadvertently learn and reproduce biases present in the data. So in a cybersecurity context, this can result in skewed maybe threat detection or false positives that can weaken a system's overall security posture. And something else I do wanna mention is more the deep fakes and the personalization. So with deep fakes, once again, it's falsified audio and video content and cyber criminals can use deep fakes for various malicious purposes, such as spreading disinformation, committing fraud, or even launching spear phishing attacks that can lead to security breaches. And with that deep fake, that leads to identity theft. Generative AI can be used to emulate human biometric data, such as voices, faces, and handwriting. So with the synthesized data, it can be used in sophisticated impersonalization attacks, leading to identity theft or even unsecure access to systems. So for example, a CEO's voice could be replicated to instruct a finance officer to make an unauthorized wire transfer payment. Yeah, yeah. And that's but there's a whole bunch of other risks. <laughs> Sorry, go on. But Oh, but I was going to say, you recommend if you want a detailed technical listing of more of the emerging risks, I would suggest reading the OWASP um, top 10 list with large language models. Uh, so that's more what I call more technical risks, such as uh, po uh, you know, data poisoning or even prompt injection. So that goes into more of the technical risks of generative AI. 
Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm going to put a link to the OWAS top 10 for LLMs in the description below as well. So if you want to look at that, you can get a, take a look at that as well if you're inclined to explore the technicalities of that. And um, that's absolutely true. I remember seeing on social media a couple of weeks ago, uh, It was I was scrolling through social media and I saw an ad for... So it, it seemed like the ad was a bunch of very popular Canadian news personalities who were advertising some Bitcoin thing where, you know, make thousands of dollars in a day of trading. And I'm like, this is obviously fake, but they looked so real. So many people would have fallen prey to that. I identified it because I understand what it is, but for many people who wouldn't identify that, that would be a problem. So it's not only a problem for the individuals who are receiving the data, it's also a problem for those companies themselves as well because they've been impersonated. So how can organizations you know, effectively balance those benefits of gen AI with the risks and security concerns like you know, impersonation, identity theft, and all of that? Well, that's a very complicated question. So yeah, generative AI has risks such as ethics, legal, social implications, there's quality reliability issues, and of course, the malicious use cases. So when an organization uses generative AI, this is where responsible AI enters the picture to ensure safety and trustworthiness of their products and services. So I'll talk about generative AI in terms from an internal point of view, but going back to your example, Femi, there's definitely the external point of view and how do you monitor cases where, you know, a CEO or a COO is being impersonated and, and being contained in a deep fake video, which is another type of strategy. So I do want to focus more internal use of generative AI and then how do we tackle generative AI from an external point of view, especially with those malicious use cases. So internally, if you want to use generative AI for your cybersecurity operations or even decision making for your financial or HR processes, you need to establish best practices to achieve that balance. So once again, what risks are worth taking? And for what reward? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to undermine your reputation and also the safety and trustworthiness of your products and services. So for best practice from an internal point of view, establish clear goals and objectives for using generative AI and align them with the values and mission of the organization. Especially if you're using it for decision making, once again, do you understand how that AI model is making the decision or, and are you able to explain it to ensure that's not being biased? Uh, a powerful tool to maintain this ba balance is really your risk assessment. You need to do a risk assessment and an impact analysis to identify and mitigate the possible harms and negative consequences of generative AI. And depending on your risk assessment, like looking at common risk scenarios and prioritizing those risk scenarios and what controls to implement, you need to audit and test your processes to make sure your AI outputs are accurate valid and also not bias. So to me, you have to have a couple different strategies with that auditing and testing. But part of that is you need to be able to speak to how the AI is being used. And once again, its output is correct. And I think lastly, it's important to have that transparency and accountability to explain how generative AI works and how the data and models are used and engage with stakeholders and, and users to solicit feedback address concerns and ensure fairness and inclusiveness of generative AI. So that's internal. So I'm using AI to make decisions on whether someone should get a loan or someone should be entering into a program. I need to make sure that once again, I follow those principles of responsible AI. 
However, now you have generative AI for what I call for the bad. So once again, how do you know that your CEO is being impersonated? And that's probably where you have to do your scanning in terms of just looking at what's happening in YouTube or just uh, anything on social media. So this is where you have your th- what I call your threat monitoring to see whether or not you can spot those cases and, and react. So once again, you have to, be, you have to be able to detect that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was wondering, Femi, do you have any uh, ex- uh, suggestions in terms of, once again, for companies that, you know, you're, if you're scanning, how do you know that you're not being impersonated or once again being part of a scam? Yeah, that's that's something I actually discussed with someone recently where and I was in a meeting with one of my, with my, my CISO at uh, work and he said, he told someone and said, if you get a text message from me or you get a voice note from me that's purports to be me, we have a back channel, we have a safe word. Contact me through that back channel and verify that actually it was me. And that's the same thing I say. Don't just say, oh, someone sent me a video saying or a voice note saying, send someone this email. Use an alternative channel to verify that that information is accurate and correct. Otherwise, you just might be being deceived by some deep fake. So there's always a, you know, an alternative channel. If someone calls me and says, I'm your mom, I, I mean... I'm in hospital, I just broke my leg, send me $5,000. I've got alternative means to verify that she's the one before I can do that. So always find an alternative means to verify that that, action, that, that information is true and is accurate before you actually take any action. That's always the case. You can't avoid doing that otherwise. I think that goes back to just being security minded and awareness of so training staff and saying that here's some possible situations we're see, seeing out, uh, you know, in terms of risk scenarios. Here's how what we expect you in terms of how to behave. Like once again, have, have like an alternative verify, but also we're in, be vigilant. So if something doesn't seem right, or you get a phishing email, the tone's off, the spelling mistakes, be skeptical. So it really goes back to training staff and for staff to trust their judgment and then seek a different channel to confirm whether that interaction is legitimate. Absolutely. Yes, that's true. And I was just thinking about that because uh, I know quite a few businesses and have said, you know, we're not going to allow you to use chat GPT or tools like that in the workplace. But I think it's going to be hard to police every single person and say, do not use chat GPT. Yes, you can put endpoint detection tools to actually limit the use of that, but by and large, most organizations realize it's probably going to be a losing battle, you know. So now that it's going to be a losing battle, we've got to implement that. What are the considerations organizations need to put in place for implementing that within a cybersecurity strategy? Because it's going to get used anyway. How do you, you know, get it used in the proper manner, in a just manner, if you will? Yeah, this is like a hot topic in terms of governance and developing a policy to guide your usage, especially in terms of chat GPT. So the first rule is, do you allow it or not? So there's some organizations like JP Morgan, uh, you know, financial institutions that said, no, you're not allowed to use uh, chat GPT given the nature of our business and regulatory requirements. So that's a flat out ban. So if you're choosing to use chat GPT or circumventing po- um, processes, you know, you may be impacting your job. There's other organizations that have developed policy, but they develop use cases saying you can use ChatGPT, you know, if you're writing a social media post, but for any type of intellectual property or coding, you cannot use that. So part of that's developing the policy and communicating that. But then the challenge is how do you police that? And there's been quite a few what I call data leakage cases, like especially with yeah. Samsung that uh, they uh, inputted the, I guess, the meeting notes and asked for a summary, as well as sharing code to optimize that. So you can use those cases to show examples of this is not what, what we want to do. 
I want you to do in terms of how to use ChatGPT, but here's the consequences because now you have our IP in a large language model that we have no control over with. And that's the implications of that. So it's a constant conversation. But once again, uh, you know, you hear things about a latest version of ChatGPT that may have enterprise control. So allowing organizations to control how their staff yeah. use that ChatGPT or other organizations like Samsung's looking at pursuing their own large language model. Um, so that may happen also with healthcare. This is with healthcare, with the sensitivity of patient data, you may have to have your own on-premise solution versus using a third party, a large language model. So it is going to be an interesting landscape in terms of how we move forward, especially with governance, policy, educating staff, and also reinforcing that policy, but also the technology decisions. Because once again, with the large language models, there's so much potential, but at the same time, you don't want to lose your um, IP or once again, give away your trade secrets. Yeah. But um, in terms of other, <laughs> yes. But there, I guess, so with key considerations for implementing generative AI, so I mentioned governance. So once again, making sure you have that transparency and accountability in terms of what's allowed versus not and keeping people informed. So once again, the training. But end of the day, if you are looking at your large language model or using APIs to connect to ChatGPT, you need to understand the technology, like its capabilities, limitations, and also understand what are we trying to achieve here and whether or not that technology is a fit. So that goes back to vendor and tool selection and then cost considerations. But if you are going ahead with generative AI, you need to think about the people, like the skill development and training that's required to support those generative AI systems. And then worst case scenario, if you have a breach or some sort of data leakage, what is your instant response planning in terms of how to handle that? So it's a very multifaceted question. So you have to go back to your governance, people, process, and technology considerations. Absolutely, it's I, I, it's that that was a great answer. I I know there's so many facets to this, like you said, and it's it's so hard keeping track of all of that. And I I I know that the um the folks in the GRC teams for most businesses actually having a field well not a field but a lot of so some, some hair pulling if you will as they try to figure out all of these things. But let's look at it from the other side. So conversely. Not as the enterprise, but more as the staff within the enterprise or the individuals who work in cybersecurity, who can leverage on the benefits of Gen AI. You know, how can we as individuals better prepare ourselves as professionals within cybersecurity for the challenges and opportunities of Gen AI? It kind of goes back to understanding what your role is and how your role is currently impacted by using generative AI tools. So this is where you need to take, explore ChatGPT or other tools um, just to understand a bit more about its capabilities and how you're able to use those tools, once again, to make you more efficient in your job, but at the same time, not put the organization you work for at risk, especially in terms of sharing sensitive information. So I would highlight this once again, education, continuous learning. So sign up and use ChatGPT, but once again, having those controls in place, but not sharing sensitive information. But I think it's more to have hands-on experience um, with the generative AI models. So I understand there's, you know, GitHub's to play around with generative AI models. There's hackathons and also being part of a community and collaborating. So participating in podcasts like this, we have a SAC and other groups that share their information or knowledge about, you know, use cases with ChatGPT or other tools. So I think it's important to stay in Farmed because the field is always evolving. Read research papers like OWASP, you know, the top 10 for large language models, follow industry leaders and participate in online forums. So I think it's important to understand how your job will be, is impacted now and how you can improve on it. But once again, if you choose to use chat GPT tools for your job, making sure that your manager is okay with the specific use cases. 
especially if you're going to be using it to optimize your code. Also, you have to think about the future. So in terms of your career in cybersecurity moving forward, um, are there new opportunities that AI will create? So what are those new cybersecurity roles that you need to support generative AI, whether it's regulatory or trading, um, training AI or even AI governance? So understand a bit more about cybersecurity field and how it's going to change and prepare you that for that changes. So for me, I work in cyber risk management. So for me, I need to understand a bit more AI governance because that's where people are looking for, looking for me for guidance. How do you set up a governance framework to have oversight of AI and making sure we're in a good place to comply with any type of future regulatory environments. Oh, Femi, for your career, how are you um, interacting with gender of AI? Like, what do you see in terms of implications for your career, like the work you do? Well, I, I, interestingly, I was having a conversation with someone recently. Well, my, my, my dad is, he's not very, he's not very tech savvy, but he tries to keep abreast of what's happening. And he sent me a message the other day and saying, ChatGPT is going to take all our jobs. And I was like, no, ChatGPT isn't going to take our jobs. Um, it's a matter of what you do with it. And for me, I think with, with Gen AI, it's Gen AI is basically a it's it's a it's a plate. You put on it what you get you get what you put into it, right? It's not gonna do all the work on itself. It it can it can assemble the information, but you have to be able to, for example, with ChatGPT, craft the right prompt to get the information you need. You need people, it still need that human element to it. So ChatGPT isn't gonna replace me it's going to help me work smarter help me work a bit more effectively because then rather than having to you know spend five hours trying to solve a problem i can craft some very properly crafted prompts and i can get a solution in an hour rather than five hours so it would increase my productivity yes but it wouldn't it still needs me to actually do all the heavy lifting and then it can then do all the mundane tasks of all the you know garbage in garbage out io stuff because that's what it's going to do but I have to be the brains behind the operation. And that's how I see ChatGPT. That's, that's how I use it on a daily basis. I just don't put any 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 key, any important information into ChatGPT. But like you said, there's risk with using that as well. So. Yeah, and also with ChatGPT, it may give you erroneous information incorrect, but I found it's a gives you a good first draft. So depending on your work, what you're working on, it gives you like maybe you're 40 or 50% there, but part of that is you need to refine it, personalize it, make it geared towards the right audience. So it can't do that. So no. I found it gives you some good raw data, but you need to massage it and manipulate it depending on what the purpose is. So once again, it's more of an assistant, kind of gives you the raw data. Like for example, with uh, risk management, I can ask, here's a risk scenario. What controls would you recommend? But I still take that information. I have to massage it and add my touch and my viewpoints to it as well. So I think it helps out with some research and, and also crafting some emails in terms of tone, but you still need to finish the work product. It doesn't, it does not deliver a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, for, for our comic book fans, they would like this analogy. I see Chad GPT as an Alfred to our Batman. That's the way I see it. You know, he's the perfect butler, but he can't do the job. You still need Batman to go out there to do the work as well. So yes. that's true. But You've, you've spoken a lot about governance and how governance is important and how governance is a key part of this. And I'm saying, so if governance being a key part of this, what role is it, ex is it especially going to play with uh, responsible and ethical use of Gen AI in cybersecurity? Particularly in recent months, we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of commentary uh, socially and globally about, you know, regulating the way AI is developed and all of that use. So. How does governance come into play here? Just yesterday, I read that uh, the White House has signed an agreement or something with seven uh, companies that are involved in AI research to sort of keep things in the proper box, as it were. So how does governance come to play in all of this? 
particularly with the ethical and responsibility side of things? Yeah, so I think ChatGPT caused this issue. So once again, they rolled out, you know, ChatGPT 3.5 and 4, and society was not prepared for it and the impact. So that so the feedback is we need governance. How can you roll out these AI tools that have such huge implications for society and not have a game plan or even follow responsible AI? So governance plays a significant role in Gen AI, particularly in cybersecurity. So here, just imagine governance as a compass guiding a ship through uncharted waters. It sets the framework, laying down clear rules, policy, and directions that align with both legal requirements, but ethical considerations. And ethical considerations mean the society, so in terms of not causing harm. So in the context of cybersecurity, this isn't just a nice to have, it's essential. So I'm going to use an example of a healthcare organization. So they want to leverage generative AI to create, you know, simulate patient data. But how can they do this responsibly? And that's where governance comes in, you know, steering the ship. It may dictate, you know, policies like third party review or even strong data security controls. But these measures need to ensure the technology is used in a way that complies with laws, for example, policy. I'm sorry, privacy, but also our shared values and principles. So that was the issue with ChatGPT got released and people are using it, you know, to maybe plagiarize or create, uh, you know, essays for school. And also there there was some uh, (laughs) jailbreaks and uh, yeah, yeah. so some interesting usage of ChatGPT. So once again, they rolled it out, even though there were like warnings saying, you know, this is for research purposes. I don't think society was ready for the use of the tool and that caused a whole bunch of conversations about appropriate use or how was a company able to roll this out uh, given its significance or impact on society with limited controls. So I do want to highlight governance is not just bureaucracy. It's more about thoughtful design of our technology future. And just with the right guidance, especially with Gen AI, it can be innovative and also responsible. And that's kind of what I want to highlight is a journey worth taking. So I think with uh, both Biden, the White House, and also just with the the, uh, the G7 countries, they all have committed to responsible AI. And that's where, you know, companies like OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, they need to adhere to those principles. So once again, before they deploy a gen AI solution, once again, have they considered the legal implications and also ethical in terms of the impact on society? Yeah. I think the ethical component is actually really important because sometimes companies could be driven by other things, other, other principles where sometimes ethics is sometimes swept under the rug, but you know, it's happened in the past. It wouldn't be the first time, but that's also very important. Um, we've had a very interesting yeah. conversation today, Mary. It's been so nice having you on here. Uh, I'm just going to trouble you for, well, I have one more question I would like to ask about what we're talking about, but just to throw you a different question. Um, I guess uh, our audience have, you know, we've been talking so much about Gen AI, uh, but I think our audience, I want to humanize the conversation a bit. Now, I know you personally, but not our audience doesn't know you. Can you give us two things about you which our audience wouldn't know, which would be fun facts, if I were to say, you know, fun facts about Mary that our audience doesn't know about? I'm an accountant. I'm a CPA. So you may be wondering why is a CPA involved in Gen AI? Because part of that is with the CPA and risk management professions, we've been using artificial intelligence for a long time, especially in terms of fraud. So using uh, AI to look for fraudulent transactions. So that's how my experience started with AI and eventually led to Gen AI with um, just the work with the SACA Global. 
And second, uh, I guess I'm a hiker, cycle. Actually, no, I grew up in a small town in Alberta. So most people are surprised I'm actually from Lethbridge, Alberta. <laughs> so I grew up on the prairie. Okay. So my parents had a small farm. So once again, I'm not from the city. So I grew up on a small farm. The town outside of Lethbridge was a thousand people. So, uh, so Lethbridge it's was the big growing. city for me. So 60,000 people at the time. <laughs> It's right now. So I think now it's at 85,000 or maybe it's at a hundred thousand, but yeah. So I grew up in a small farm town just by Lethbridge, Alberta. So that's my story. So CPA and a farm girl. Yeah. Nice. So now you know something new about Mary. Uh, so back to the topic, final question. <laughs> what advice would you give to our audience who are interested in exploring the intersection of Gen AI and cybersecurity? This is a cybersecurity podcast after all. Oh, I think for me, when I, when I first heard, when I read this question about the intersection, I was thinking about the Venn diagram. So when I look at the intersection between Gen AI and cybersecurity, I th my first thought was thinking strategically, strategically. So what are your cybersecurity objectives and how can generative AI support you in achieving those objectives? So once again, understanding your need, the potential risk, and what opportunity can Gen AI help you resolve those cybersecurity objectives. But once again, it's a double-edged sword because you have to think about externally, once again, predicting how can Gen AI be used for malicious use cases and are you ready to, and are you prepared with your cybersecurity objectives to handle what I call a changing landscape? I think in terms of the intersection, this is a multidisciplinary approach. So don't be boxed in, boxed in by the technology alone. There's been lots of conversations about ChatGPT and its capabilities and how you can write a poem with it and a country song and write jokes and so on. But you need to combine it with ethics, legal insights, and even psychology. So you have to see the whole picture to understand what is truly at stake or at risk and be curious. This field's new and the paths are uncharted. So stay open, stay curious, and be ready to explore. So that's how I think about the exploring the intersection is, yes, it's going to change over the next year or so, especially when you have the regulatory environment. And then if you have the regulatory environment, what is responsible AI, what's explainable AI, and how do I support that direction? So just once again, just keep on your toes, uh, you know, uh, do your research, join a community, and um, just embrace it because AI is here to stay. Yeah, it's not going anywhere, not anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much, Mary. That was uh, that was good. Uh, and there you've all had it. It's Gen AI and cybersecurity are a match. Well, it's it's a match that's going to continue to go on, and we're going to continue to be here as well. Um, if you have any questions or any comments, uh, you can put them down in the comments below. We get in touch with that. I'll be putting up on those. Um, I'm going to put a link to Mary's LinkedIn profile. So she's open to connecting, I assume. Uh, you can uh, follow Mary. She does a lot of um, talks and conversations around um, Gen AI and risk and governance, uh, particularly with ISAC and the Global Body as well. So uh, once again, thank you, Mary, for coming on today. It was my absolute pleasure having you here. And I hope that maybe we could sometime in the future, it's not, it, as things evolve, we can come back and revisit this discussion and see how Gen AI has changed uh, since the last discussion. Yeah, chat GPT-5, and then you have BARD, <laughs> and then you have Meta, and all these large language models. <laughs> it's never ending. 
And then also you can watch all the YouTube videos about how to use ChatGPT to make money off of the stock market too. So you have all the different scams as well. So that's a fun topic. <laughs> Very fun. Enough to fill your evening if you don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> I, can, I can assure of that. Uh, so anyway, until next time, uh, this has been the CyberSec Migrant. I've been your host, Femi, and thank you for tuning in today. And join us again on another video on the CyberSec Migrant. And thank you, Mary. Oh, thank you.